This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hey, this is Tommy Lee Edwards, co-creator of Vandroid, Turf, and Brandon Generator. You are listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 152 of THN. That's a new opening. Let me know if you guys like it. I'm trying to be a little more polite. Well, we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 26th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not sharpening my beard while talking about Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy on the internets, I'm writing the comic book speculator blog for Wordpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not bucking my softy reputation by changing a flat tire like a real man, to be fair, I did get a little help ahead, at the end. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, really? <laughs> and then, Is it from a boy or a girl, Joe? <laughs> from a boy. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> and then going to bed instead of podcasting like a big baby. Yep. Really? Yep. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. I call him like I see him, buddy. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Vandroid, number one, and Fantastic Four, number one. Then we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics. Faster than DC could put a bullet in Jonah Hex's head, only to pull it right back out during the ludicrous speed round. Then maybe we'll, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. It's a mystery. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be examining a very special species of plant and discussing some of next week's comics. And then one listener will approach the bench to discuss his terrible comic book taste. Well, questionably terrible. In a little segment we call The Defenders. But. Before we unveil our brand new red uniforms, let's take a moment to wish Jeff Smith a happy belated birthday. Yesterday was his birthday. Yay. Yeah. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. This week, Marvel Comics announced a new solo series for Rocket Raccoon, starting in July, written and drawn by Scotty Young. Young has earned a large fan following for his work on titles such as Marvel's Wizard of Oz adaptations and the ubiquitous baby variants. <laughs> this won't that be That was me, by the way. Yeah. I don't like the baby variants. This won't be the artist's first attempt at writing. He penned the recent Magneto, Not a Hero miniseries, and the <laughs> A Babies versus X Babies one shot. You should call it the terribly named Magneto colon Not a Hero miniseries. <laughs> I hated that title. He's not a hero. He's not a girl, not yet a woman. Don't bank on the series following in the footsteps of Young's all-ages work. The writer-artist compared his take on Rocket to that of the Boom Murdered You characterization from B.M. Bendis' Guardians of the Galaxy, the Joe Kelly version of Deadpool, and Keith Giffen and Simon Bisley's Lobo. Only smaller. Only smaller. Way shorter. And furrier. Yeah. Describing the series... Just a little for you. Right. <laughs> Describing the series, Young said, quote, In the first arc, we have a hooded figure that seems to be watching Rocket and setting him up for things that he probably would do, but didn't do this time. After the first arc, I'll be diving deep into Marvel's cosmic library, hunting for the oddest characters I can get my hands on, and seeing what kind of fun there is to be had. Now, Matt, is Rocket a character that you can see supporting his own title? Do you think Young is 
up to the task. Absolutely and absolutely. I love Rocket Raccoon. I think Scotty Young is a very talented guy, regardless of his stupid little baby covers that I'm just done with. But you can't argue that they're not great pieces of art. Uh-huh. And he, yeah, no, they're fine. It, 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 yeah, I mean, he's good at what he does. I just don't care about that crap. You know, I just think it's dumb. You're dumb. Right? Not as dumb as the animal variants that are coming out right now, though. Those are awful. Listen. <laughs> but I digress. The I love, comics, comics has moved on without you, I, old man. I love Rocket Raccoon. I think it could be a very fun series. I think Scotty Young is a great choice for this. And, man, you're going to dig into Marvel's weird cosmic effort. Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of weird stuff. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> now, I, I, I just love, love Groot's there with him. Uh, in the art, they showed Groot. Groot is there. I want Groot running around. That, they're one of my favorite like buddies <laughs> sure. in the Marvel Universe right, right. right now. I love the idea that somebody is out there framing Rocket for crimes that he would have committed but didn't. Yeah. Where it's like, but I didn't do it. Yeah, this seems like something he probably did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, speaking a little bit of... Bill Mantlo, who we talked about last week, Bill's brother Michael has stated that the success of Rocket is good for Bill in the long run. So hopefully all of this attention gets Bill some royalties. Right on. Help with his medical care. Medical yeah. care. Not that I think that Marvel should strip mine everything he's ever done, but no, no, at no. least he's benefiting, benefiting from it in some way. The hero initiative is throwing some money at him too. So that's a good thing. Right. But So go give money to the hero initiative. They take care of comic creators in financial crisis it's a very very good thing from a pure like looking just at the series i think it sounds like a great f idea it is weird to me that it's not necessarily all ages like not that it's going to be explicit or anything no but, but they've already established rocket as something in guards of the galaxy and i think they want to sell it based on that yeah but but you know what i mean like the the expectation with a guy like scotty young just Causes sort of like a disconnect for me where it's like, well, now hold on. I, I can't gotcha. like nececessarily hand this to a five-year-old. But, I mean, that's just because he's been doing a bunch of Sure, so stuff. I guess you could say he's, yeah. he's typecasting Don't that put way. Scotty Young in a box. Why would you do that? Nobody puts Scotty Young in a corner. Scotty Young doesn't even believe in corners. DC Comics has announced that a third weekly series will launch this October, accompanying the previously announced Batman Eternal and the new 52 Futures End. The as-yet-untitled series will take place in present day and will follow their now-annual September event, which will feature a flash-forward for every title, showing a potential future for DC's characters. As if to say, do you like this? If you do, we'll do it. If you don't, just forget it ever happened. DC co-publisher Dan DiDio said the events happening in the third weekly series will have direct implications on the future's end storyline offering quote a level of connectivity that i think will help really bring into focus where we see the future of the dcu heading i don't know if he got that excited while he said it for you speculators out there didio also announced that the september flash forward event will feature the return of dc's infamous lenticular covers which will depict each book's title character transforming between their present day and future counterparts joe are you still clinging to DC for dear life? Does any of this sound interesting to you? I'm not at a place where I'm going to automatically discount everything DC announces. I'm not either. Because I don't want to hate them. But I do understand people that do that. Sure. <laughs> uh, I love flash forward stories. I love them. I loved one year later where they're just like, guess what? A bunch of stuff happened and we're not going to tell you what it is Yeah, yet. it was fun. One year later was a ton of fun. And I, I like the idea that we're just going to jump five years ahead 
and have to figure out what the hell happened to these characters in the meantime. You know, and maybe they can fix a bunch of stuff that we don't like. Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't I, see I that happening. Kind of doubt it, but you know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> well, a guy can dream. Yeah, I'm uh, looking through the rose-colored glasses. You, you know? know, everything everything that I've seen of Future Zen makes it seem like if you think that the DC Universe has been greedied and darkened now... Wait till you see the five years later version. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not why I read DC Comics. That's not why I read DC Comics. Yeah. But I like flash forward stuff. If it's well done, great. I hope it's well done. I think the lenticular covers are... I'm not interested in buying them. I think no. they look neat. People love it. And and DC is soliciting them way in advance to hopefully avoid the problems of the yeah. Villains Month. <laughs> And it is also important to point out, DiDio said that DC is not adding three weeklies on top of their 52 titles. They are replacing, those weekly issues are replacing titles that are going to go away. Right. Which seems to me, that that means to me that DC is going to put out 12 issues of those three, right? Four each. I guess. So 12 weekly issues per month. And only 40 ongoings? That's like quite a drop. I suppose. But I mean, if you look at their sales, there's a lot of stuff that is not selling for DC right now. And I'm not trying to sound like, let's jump on DC guy. But that's what DC's done since the beginning is that they've tried something, found out right away, oh, it doesn't work, and then replaced it. They're turning into like the fox of comics real quickly. I actually give them credit for some of that stuff where they, they said, well, you know what? We're going to try the Blackhawks. Ooh, nobody cares about the Blackhawks. And then they cancel it. Okay. Like, you have to try things. To be fair, they did the Blackhawks wrong. <laughs> they did it no, wrong. But that's beside the point. Like, they're, they, they've they tried Dial H. Like, they've tried a lot of oddball stuff. And Dial H was good. That was actually a pretty good one. And when it didn't catch on, they did what they had to do. What was that weirdo that wrote it? China, what's his name? China Mayville. Yeah, I think so. He was a novelist. Yeah. I think this sounds kind of fun. I'm, I like everything DC. I'm cautiously curious, not even cautiously optimistic. Look, at this point, and again, I know I'm, I, I'm beating a dead horse saying, I'm not just saying screw DC. But at this point, can it get a lot worse? Really? <laughs> yes. Hey, unfortunately, Matt, yeah. Actually, yeah. yes, it can. <laughs> actually, Why would you even tempt that? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Finally, because someone, someone demanded it. Not me. NBC has announced the return of their canceled superhero saga, Heroes. The series, which will be helmed by original Heroes creator Tim Kring, will return in 2015 as a 13-episode event titled. <laughs> Heroes Reborn. Man, I can't believe no one has used <laughs> that title yet. That's crazy. The new series will feature a standalone story, but NBC isn't ruling out the return of original series regulars. NBC Entertainment President Jennifer Salke has stated that details of the show's return will be, quote, shrouded in secrecy. <laughs> also means we don't have them yet. <laughs> <laughs> Until we get closer to the 2015 release date, Matt... Who asked for this, and do you think anyone told them what happened last time someone used the title Heroes Reborn? First of all, it was terrible <laughs> last time someone used that title. <laughs> I, w- I want Peter Petrelli to show up with like his gun pouches out to here. Yeah, like just like more pouches than any person could ever need, and no shirt on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
I have a complicated relationship with Heroes. Okay. Heroes season one. The first season of Heroes fun is, as hell. is good. But, uh, the, the finale was not great, but everything up to the yeah, finale was good. Really, really good time. And you were perfectly safe with watching season one. In fact, I know someone who just started watching it on Netflix because it popped up mysteriously. And they're like, yeah, I started watching it. It's pretty good. I was like, do yourself a favor. Stop at the second to last episode of season one. (laughs) (laughs) Just stop and wonder what happened in the finale because it'll be better that way. It got so convoluted and so stupid. And you know what the problem is? They had a bunch of people that were not comic book dorks trying to write comic books. Not true. I mean, uh, absolutely true. You're going to argue about this, but like if you look at Jeff Loeb was one of the executive producers of that show. Uh Uh-huh. He's a professional comic book writer, Matt. We both know that there are two Jeff Loeb's. But, we both know that. But there's a Jeff Loeb we love, and there's a Jeff Loeb that's done everything else since aliens kidnapped the Jeff Loeb we love and replaced him <laughs> with someone else. But that's completely contradictory to your original complaint. What I'm saying is there were no names that we recognized writing it. It was a bunch of just a bunch of TV writers and Jeff Loeb as like executive producer or whatever. And it sucked. It got so convoluted and so stupid and jumped forward in time and backwards in time and people weren't even using powers that they should be using to solve problems because they were too powerful. I mean, like, if they could bring it back and make it good, fine. I'm just shocked because I like I feel like when this went down, everybody, it was like George W. Bush's second term where everybody, even his buddies, were like, look, man, I can't talk about you or be in a picture with you. <laughs> you know, like this is bad news. We all said Heroes sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now Heroes performed really well on DVD, like a lot. They sold like 10 million DVDs. Yeah, I think this has like a family guy factor going sure. for it or something. So, it might be that NBC thinks it'll do well in that kind of like event series format. Like Maybe. they're doing it with 24. Yeah. Fox is doing it with 24. Yeah. Uh and with the way people watch TV Although now, I'm super excited for Jack to come back. Well, man. yeah, Jack Bauer. With binge watching and and DVRing and things like that, like this might be good for a show like could this. Could be, could be. And if they can do what, like for example, House of Cards or uh, Arrested Development did, right? Have the entire thing planned out, start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to release it all at once because it's network, but right. At least have a story. Yeah, an idea. Ready and done. They were totally making it up as they went <laughs> in the second season. But it was so bad. I don't know. I, I'm certainly not excited, but yeah, it's I am baffling. very curious. This is head-scratching news. And I will say that it did make me want to watch Heroes. It can't be worse than Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's definitely not true. <laughs> it's true. It could be worse than that. that that's definitely not true. I'm not a girl. That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where we would love to hear somebody come on and defend seasons two through four of Heroes. I know you're out there. Get on our web forums, get on our Defenders forum, and tell me what you liked about it and why it's not as bad as we think it was. Every Friday, they revive from cancellation. Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our THN web forum. I just talked about it. You may have heard me, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what did we ask the listeners a week ago? <laughs> Guess what? <clears throat> 
This week's question is last week's question because we didn't do the answer of the week. You've got more time. We want to talk about that Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. We do. What did you love? What did you hate? Are you more or less excited for the film now that we're finally seeing real footage? Are you freaking out? Are you worried it's going to ruin your childhood? Are you Aura McWilliams huddling in a corner, shuddering like a leaf? I just figured he killed himself. <laughs> I figured Aura just going to handle it. Yeah! And exploded. <laughs> you can call us. Leave a message with your answer using Skype. Skype handles to it at nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Keep that shit under three minutes. Or you'll get cut off by your Google overlords. If you'd like, send us an MP3 to it at nerd at gmail.com. Again, though, keep it under three minutes because Matt Bomb. I'm a harsh mistress. He is a fickle little bitch. I'll tell you what. If you need more time than that, you can write your full answer to your heart's content in the question of the week section at the THN web forums. It's that easy. It's just that easy. It's review time on THN where Matt and I throw two of this week's comics into the blender with some yogurt, a little wheatgrass, and some fresh berries, and then drink down all the nerdy goodness. Mm-mm-mm. Matt, was there enough protein in your read this week? We'll get to that. This week, I gorged myself on Fantastic Four number one from Marvel, written by James Robinson, with art by Leonard Kirk. I'm not going to read the whole solicited because we read it last week. You know what's going on. But don't do it. I will say. James Robinson leaving DC for Marvel to write Fantastic Four was big. This was a huge coup for comics, and I was expecting some very big things from his first issue. I gotta say, this didn't seem to suffer from Robinson's team book woes of his JLA past, and I didn't even notice some of his strange dialogue that he tends to throw in here and there. All in all, this was very true to the characters, dialogue was totally solid, and the art by Leonard Kirk was just as good as we'd come to expect from him. That guy, Leonard Kirk isn't the flashiest guy out there that isn't going to do something that you're going to look at and say, man, that's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. But I will say, completely solid. Panel to panel, you will never have a problem with Leonard Kirk book. The only problem here was I felt like <sighs> this suffered from the all setup syndrome. You know what I mean? I got to the end of the comic, which I read digitally, so I admit I lost track of the page count while I was reading it, and I said out loud, wait a minute. I'm like, that was it? <laughs> First issues of any run are probably the hardest, and I want to stress that Robinson and Kirk did a great job here, but other than the red costumes that I really don't care for, and Sue setting up what looks to be a very gloomy future for the First Family, it felt like not a lot happened here. I like the way Robinson used the family as a team and showed us Reed leading them in the field, the way I remember him, and which is one of the things I've always really liked the Fantastic Four, something that Fraction, I think, really got away from in his run. But I guess, I don't know, I guess I thought we'd see more of a homecoming. Didn't we see the homecoming at the end of Fraction's run? Kind of. I don't know. I just feel like they were gone for so long. Here's my main problem. I like this. And maybe if this was just the beginning of Robinson's run, would it have been issue 17? Yes. Maybe if this was issue 17 and the beginning of Robinson's run, I wouldn't be having this problem. But when you renumber it as a number one, 
it leads directly from the last story. This doesn't feel like a gigantic jumping on point for me for people who are going to pick up the Fantastic Four. And it didn't feel like it needs to be a whole new number one. Now, that's not James Robinson's fault. And that's not Leonard Kirk's fault. That's Marvel's fault for relaunching their books every two years, which they seem to do now. I like this. And it was worth the price. I was going to give it a skim it because I was so mad about the number one thing. I'm giving it a buy it because... James Robinson did a really good job here. Leonard Kirk did a really good job. But I just don't think this needed another renumbering. I really don't. See, I don't know. I don't understand that complaint. Like, how would a number 17 be more accessible than a number one? I mean, I get that. I mean, whether it's it's just like a new creative team and then the more of the story, it's just I I'm getting really tired of all the relaunches. Sure, and I get that, but I was absolutely thrilled that they barely mentioned the previous run. Because it's a number one. It's a clean break. No one's saying it didn't happen. They no. do give lip service to it. And you've still got Dragon Man and the kids there and stuff. Right. And- but you don't need to have read it. You don't need to have bothered with it. I suppose. And I thought that that was a very wise uh, tactic. I didn't, and I don't really agree that nothing much happened. I mean, they fought Fin Fang Foom. Yeah. They fought Fin Fang Foom. I know. <laughs> For three pages. I'm just saying, like it suffered from setup to me. That's all I'm saying. I'm giving it a buy it. I will. I'm saying buy it. You're giving it a buy it, but you're qualifying it with all these complaints that I definitely don't agree with. I just don't feel like it needed to be another number one. That's my main problem. I don't feel like we needed to relaunch. That's a that's perfectly fine, and I understand. I understand. But I really liked it. I I really liked this. I agree with you that Robinson's usual. Dialogue ticks were completely absent. Yeah. And I love the fact that Sue is narrating this story from the future. Not in like a time travely way. It's right. like she's explaining. She's flashing back. The title of the story is The Fall of the Fantastic Four or The Fall of the First Family or whatever. Right. And she's explaining to her children in the letter how it all went so terribly wrong. So, of course. We have to start at the point where things are good and get to the point where things are bad. And I loved the way they did it. It is weird for a new number one to not even touch on, this is the Fantastic Four and here's what we are. Right. Because they don't really. Most most new number ones, you would expect a little bit of setup of the premise. Right. But perhaps they just felt that the Fantastic Four are so well-known, and we are literally months... We're not even more than two months past the release of the last volume. Right. How many people reading this are really reading Fantastic Four for the first time? Right. So I kind of understand why they didn't get into a whole lot of setup. But I really liked it. I liked it. The red costumes, I'm not in love with. I don't get it. But... Oh, they also don't explain them. Yeah, at all. They're just like, we're wearing red. Which is fine. I mean, <laughs> the Fantastic Four's costumes can literally look like anything they want. I they're suppose. made of unstable molecules. But they've always been blue. Except for when they're white. You're right. right. Jonathan Hickman. The red costumes don't really matter in the long run. It's about the family, not about what they're wearing. I don't like it. <laughs> yes, fine, but it's not a deal breaker. Like It's not a deal breaker. I just said I don't like the, it. The costumes that the characters are wearing... If your biggest problem with a comic is the costume that they're wearing, That's you should not, not be reading that comic. That's not my biggest problem. I'm just saying I don't I'm like saying it. in general. But quit <laughs> pointing it out then. We get it. You don't like it. You said so already. Sucks. It's my time now. They're red. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving this a buy it. I'm very interested in finding out what happened. Uh, the glimpses that we got of the future 
Fantastic Four members and what's wrong with them. Looks interesting. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird to have such a depressing downer story for the Fantastic Four, which should be kind of a bright book, but I'm willing to go with them on this ride. Okay. Giving it a buy. Joe Patrick, tell me about Vandroid, number one, from Dark Horse. This was written by Tommy Lee Edwards and Noah Smith with art by Dan McDade. I'm not going to read the solicit because I read it last week and it really didn't say anything about the content. So here's a little something from the inside front cover. Chuck Carducci made his name as one of the top mechanics of the mid-1970s custom vanning craze. His artistic and award-winning designs were seen across the country. Then came the money, then came the women, and then came the drugs. Just like Scarface. Yeah. At the height of the craze, Carducci was on top of the world. But by 1984, vanning was all but dead. What no one expected was that Chuck's masterpiece was yet to come. Don't tell our buddy Meatloaf that Fanning's all with that. <laughs> According to the book's creators, Vandroid was a film set to come out at the height of the 80s action movie craze. But the studio that created it burned to the ground before the film could be released. Is it true? I don't know. And I don't care. It's not true. I'm sure it's not true. <laughs> but I like to pretend that it's a mystery. It's a great premise. What I do know is that Vandroid number one was ridiculous and fun, and I can't wait for more. Tommy Lee Edwards is better known as an artist. He drew Mark Miller's 1985. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm going on the record without looking it up. I'm not editing this. All right. But he teams with Noah Smith to, quote unquote, adapt the story of Vandroid for comics, and they execute it fairly well. But to be honest, this comic is all about the concept, not the script. Chuck Carducci's friend comes to him with a murderous AI, so the natural response is to put it into the body of a molted android. Of course. And it wears sunglasses. Oh, yeah. I loved the art by Dan McDade. His character designs are great. I really like the contrast between Chuck and his friend, who both came up at the same time. One was successful. Chuck was not. Yeah. And so Chuck was fat. (laughs) Yeah. Burnt out. uh, Yeah, fat and his facial hair is out of control. And the other guy's like slick and well cut. And he has a knack for capturing the look of the era. My one complaint, it seemed pretty heavy on the 80s references. Well, and if you're going to do that, if you're going to do all the 80s references, then you can't have chicks running around in like thong bikinis and stuff because that was not an 80s thing. They should be wearing like those granny, sexy granny panties bikinis <laughs> from the 80s, you know? You got Voltron hats, kids shouting radical everywhere. It wasn't over the top, no. but it was enough that I noticed and I was already on board. Like, I get it. It's the 80s. Well, but here's the thing. And I'm going to cut him some slack here because if you watch those like old B movie 80s action films, that's all it was. That, it was okay, like terrible you know writing, terrible acting. Like That's fair. Really, really bad, you know, like extras running around going radical. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, I guess that's fair. But like, you know, I, think of the scene where the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles break dance in front of uh, Vanilla, Vanilla Ice. Ice yeah, you know? Ninja rap. Like, think about how bad that was. <laughs> Yeah, or Mac and Me, where they go to the McDonald's Bad and everyone is breakdancing. You know, that's fair. All right, that's fair. My opinion was that I was already fully invested in the concept. I didn't need the constant reminders. But you make a good point. Vandroid is a really silly concept, but I love this kind of throwback stuff. Edward Smith and McDay did a great job here. I thought it was a whole lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Absolutely. If you buy one comic book this week, go buy Vandroid. If you buy one comic book this week. 
featuring an android that rides in a van. <laughs> Go by van. It should be van droid. Yeah, I loved it. So that's a double buy it for Vandroid number one and a double buy it for Fantastic Four number one. Of course, we want to know what you super families and robots with mullets thought of these comics. So load your opinions in the back of your van and drop them off over at the This Week's Comic section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. I always wanted to have a replica of the A-Team van. Ugh, that would be pretty great. Ugh, I'd have so much sex in that thing. <laughs> While having drinks at the local whiskey watering hole this week, Joe and I overheard the tipsy chief creative officer of DC Comics, Jeff Johns, bragging about putting a bullet in the head of Jonah Hex. Just as that ugly some bitch came walking through the swinging doors. Now we find ourselves ducking behind the bar. These two gunfighters prepare to find out whose gun is quicker and who's doing the dying. So we better hurry up and review 10 of this week's comics before the shooting starts during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round! Yeah! That was totally unplanned. That was spontaneous. <laughs> Ludicrous Speed! Go! The wait, number six from DC. Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy's horror epic returns after a hiatus with a jarring time jump that shows us the world left behind after the disastrous events of issue five. Even with a new cast and location, the mystery that Snyder and Murphy have set up is more compelling than ever. And of course, that amazing art. Huge buy it. One hit wonder. Number one from Image. This is the first Image number one I've read in a while that did absolutely nothing for me. The story was glib and kind of stupid, detailing a carefree Hollywood hitman that kills a victim on camera and was trained by special effects experts as a child while working on commercial sets. I'm not making that up. What? Bad premise, unfunny attempts at humor, and just horrendous art by Ariel Olivetti, who has taken his talent of putting his pretty good art on top of digital photo backgrounds to the next level and ruined anything I liked about him. There's even a panel where it looks like a pool in someone's backyard is completely defying the laws of physics. Mm. It was bad. Leave it. Pariah, number one from Dark Horse. This was a decent read about a group of geniuses trapped on a broken space station. The problem was that my entire knowledge of the book's premise came from the Diamond Solicit. There's nothing in here at all that explains the premise, not even a blurb on the title page. Really? Nothing. Really? They're on the space station, they're geniuses, and they're in trouble. That's it. You don't get any explanation. Okay. I like the art by Surrogate's co-creator, Brett Weldel. It has a great hook, but I felt like I came in halfway through the movie. I've got to give it a skim it. Artifacts number 35 from Image. Uh, I'd like to wish congratulations to Hannibal Taboo, winner of the third annual Top Cow Rider Talent Hunt, which is apparently a thing that happens. Here, he writes the story of Michael Finnegan, who reminds us he's Irish by cramming as much Irish slang into every word bubble as possible. Everyone that he talks to is a nutter, and he even goes so far as to throw out the term banjaxed, which means, like, screwed. Like, oh man, my car is banjaxed! <laughs> The story was almost completely unintelligible, and not just because of all the Irish-isms. I realized this is issue 35, so I thought I'd be a little lost, but this was a mess. I'm not even sure if the story took place in one of the main characters' imagination or not. There were 
disembodied floating words and panels, really awkward suicide bombings. It was nonsense. I'm giving this a leave it. Jesus, after lifting them bricks all day, I'm bleeding banjaxed. <laughs> exactly. Broken, oh, ruined, can also mean tired. There you go. Daredevil Road Warrior number one from Marvel Infinite Comics. I should say that. I don't read it. I got nothing against the guy. It's just what I've heard. Okay. This was my second digital purchase of the week. I'm keeping resolutions all over the place. Daredevil Road Warrior bridges the gap between last week's Daredevil 36 and next month's relaunch. Mark Wade and Peter Krause, the artist, not the actor. Not that Peter Krause. Do- not the devastatingly handsome Why Peter Why do Krause. you keep saying Peter Krause? That's how Peter Krause says his name. That's the actor Peter Krause. That's nonsense. That's how he says it. That's an extra syllable unnecessary. Look, man, talk to Peter Krause. Look, regardless, they do a great job. And Marvel's Infinite Comics continue to do a an amazing job utilizing the guided view technology. I really enjoyed this, not only as a good comic, but as a fun reading experience. My only complaint is the price. It's a four-part weekly bridging the two monthly titles. Why isn't it 99 cents? How much was it? $2.99. That's too much. I mean, it's full length. It's not like... Oh, okay. But, I mean, All right. I, I see it both ways. Okay. But... I get it. I feel like it's a little much to ask somebody to pay... I got it. Eight bucks... Right. ...for a prelude to the relaunch. Right. I still loved it, though. I'm giving it a buy it. It was super fun. Tomb Raider, number one from Dark Horse. One of my favorite writers who's been average at best for a little while now hits us with an average at best story of Laura Croft that takes place after the events of the last video game. If you, like me, didn't play the last Tomb Raider game, be prepared to have no f***ing clue what's going on. There's no setup for these characters or even a recap of whatever happened on the Yamatai. Yamatai's the island. Okay, I don't even... I've, my next sentence is, I don't even know what that is a reference to. But it is referenced a lot. Also, there was good art here by Nicholas Daniel Selma, but it's a little too minimalist compared to like the really deep and dark backgrounds of the Tomb Raider games that you play. I applaud him for not giving Laura gigantic boobs, though. Skim it. Go-getters, number one from Monkey Brain. I picked this up on the recommendation of Comics Therapy's Aaron Myers, and I'm really glad I did. I know that I said that Daredevil was my second, and it seems out of order, but I swapped him. Ah. I swapped him in the order. Got it. I read this first, though. Okay. This was a fun, fast-paced adventure story featuring the Han and Chewie-esque duo of Maya Diaz and a white gorilla named George Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) Having the panels blown up during guided view did make some of the art look a little rushed and uneven, but you don't have to read it that way. You can read it like normal comic style. And I love Christopher Peterson's art overall. Well-written, great art, and a steal at only 99 cents. What band did George Harrison play for and what damage did he play? The Beatles, and he played bass. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Buy it. Do you think I'm a complete idiot? I don't know. I don't know. I was just... <laughs> King Conan the Conqueror, number one from Dark Horse. Writer Tim Truman and artist Thomas Giarello continue their run on a more traditional Conan story than what we've been getting from Brian Tomas. Wood. I think you're probably right. It's Thomas Giarello. <laughs> Here they're writing the aging barbarian, recounting his story to a scribe, and it's just as lush and beautifully illustrated as their previous stories. Giarillo deserves legendary status for his work on this Dark Horse Conan stuff, and it is just amazing to look at. I love this creative team. If you like the original Conan stories, you will love this. Buy it. I'm glad you reread that because I thought you said Asian barbarian. (laughs) An Asian barbarian. Revenge, number one, from Image. Speaking of Image number ones that did nothing for me, 
This is a new series by British television personality and occasional comic writer Jonathan Ross and veteran artist Ian Churchill. I've enjoyed books by both of these creators in the past, but this was not one of them. Oh. This comic tries so hard to fit into a sort of like grindhouse style, but it comes off as blatantly sexist and violently gory without a decent story to make it compelling. If you like your stories to beat you over the head with their theme, revenge, <laughs> and feature F-bombs to the point of annoyance, then this is the comic for you. Otherwise, leave it. Whoa. Bloodshot and the Hardcore, number zero, from Valiant. This is a brief and violent history of the hardcore through the 70s, 90s, and then modern day. It's written by Joshua Dysart and Christos Gage, with art by three different artists for each chapter, two of which I really like. One's a little, eh. Very well written, though. Very high quality, we've come to expect from Valiant. This does a fantastic job of setting up the who are the hardcore idea. And I didn't know it, but that very much inspired by the Thunder Agents. Big yeah, time. that makes sense. Big time. Yeah, totally. But this was very cool. Buy it. Kachunk! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Kachunk is the sound of famous van mechanic and designer Chuck Carducci activating the Vandroid, as seen in this week's Vandroid number one. It's been several years of work in the THN greenhouse, but I'm proud to announce I've finally successfully grown two adult Black Mercy specimens. Bet you guys didn't know he was such a horticulture dork. Oh, yeah. And today, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, Matt and I will be inhaling the spores and fantasizing about next week's comics. They kind of fart them in your face, right? They really do. <laughs> Matt, what does your alien pollen-induced super have you excited for next week? Next week, I'm excited for Starlight Number 1, written by Joe's nemesis, Mark Millar. Everybody wants me to say Miller, I know, but he's got an A in there. I refuse to do it. With art by Goran Palov. Here's a solicit. 40 years ago, Duke McQueen was the space hero who saved the universe. But then he came back home, got married, had kids, and grew old. Now, his children have left and his wife has passed away, leaving him alone with nothing except his memories. Until a call from a distant world asking him back for his final and greatest adventure. This issue launches the much-anticipated Miller World Universe. Get in on the start of something massive! You will notice a Miller World not at Marvel Icon. Weird. No. Uh, this is going to be fun as hell, though. Goran Palov is totally awesome. This is the story of fat old Flash Gordon returning to outer space. Yeah. Super excited. I'm into it. Uh, they, yeah. We got a... Um, Dark Knight Strikes Again in space. Yeah. Dark Knight Returns <laughs> Pardon in me. space. Dark Knight Returns in space. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I am super excited for Moon Knight number one. So am I, and I was going to pick it, but you stole it from me. Yeah. Well, I would have picked Starlight, so it's all good. You want to swap? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that we'll both be reviewing both of those books. All right, all right, all okay. right. Okay. Okay. Moon Knight number one from Marvel Comics, written by Warren Ellis, with art by Irishman Declan Shalvey. Love both of them. I did too. Although Warren Ellis did kick me off his message board. <laughs> Were you being an asshole? No, we got in a fight about Nicolas Cage. Oh. He loves Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your solicit. Mark Spector is Moon Knight, or is he? It's hard to tell these days, especially when New York's wildest vigilante protects the street with two-fisted justice and three, that's right, count them, three different personalities. 
But even with the mystical force of Khonshu fueling his crusade, how does the knight's greatest detective sound familiar? Save a city that's as twisted as he is. The road to victory is going to hurt a lot. Marvel's most mind-bending adventure begins now! As Moon Knight sleuths his way to the rotten core of New York's most bizarre mysteries. I have been ready for this since the second they announced it. Yeah, why can't we have a good Moon Knight? I don't know. But I don't like, get it. Even the last, the last Moon Knight we got it by was good. Bendis. It was good. People say it was good, but I was not that into it. I like it. I do not like the idea that... I don't care how crazy it is. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. see Moon Knight pretending to be Wolverine. I know, or Cap, Wolverine, and Spidey. And his, like, he's got, he adjusts his costume to make him kind of look like Wolverine. I it wasn't was into that. It was kind of silly. But this this thing by Declan Shalvey, oh, I'm excited. Love him. Oh, man. That's all I got. I'm super excited. Fair enough. I, and I love that Moon Knight is out there. He's a same, He's Marvel's Batman. We say it all the time. Right. He's Marvel's crazy Batman. And I want him to be out there solving detect, uh, solving mysteries, and that's yeah, what it sounds weird, like. weird supernatural mystery. I am heavy into it. That's awesome. The TGN Trade of the Week goes to X-Men, Days of the Future Past, a hardcover. This is written by tons of peeps with art by even more. It's every single time that the Marvel Universe has visited the X-Men Days of the Future Past future. Probably. Catch up on it before the movie comes out so you can see what it is very, very, very loosely based on. For years, the X-Men have fought to avert a nightmare's future in which robotic sentinels herd mutants into camps or kill them on sight. But no matter what they do, that future seems to loom ever closer. Now, Classic tales featuring this dystopian alternate timeline are collected in one oversized volume. Kate Pride journeys desperately through time to prevent Senator Kelly's assassination. Franklin Richards flees to the present, pursued by the Houndmaster Ahab. All right. Remember? And Excalibur ventures into the future in a last-ditch attempt to defeat the Sentinels. That's why it's got all the annuals in there. That's why it's got all the annuals. So this is all the times that the X-Men visited the Days of Future Past Future, and Excalibur went there, X-Factor went there. The Hulk? Even the Hulk went there during Broken Worlds. This is good. It's just fun. Just super fun stuff. Yeah, well, they have to pat out the trade somehow because right. Days of Future Pass is only a two-ish <laughs> Of course. <laughs> like, here is your 64-page hardcover. <laughs> As always, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So after you're done drooling and fantasizing, tell us about your whole trippy experience over at the THN forums. Dun, 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 dun. In the comic book legal system, the comics are represented by two parties, the nerds that read them, and the holier-than-thou reviewer jerks like us, who tell people that their favorite comics totally suck. Today, one listener will approach the bench and try to sell their case for their own questionable comic tastes in a segment we call The Defenders. Today's defendant is Camarillo Brillo, who will be stating his defense for the much-maligned DC series from the early 1980s, Atari Force. Mr. Brillo, you may approach the bench. Hello, this is Camarillo Brillo, and I'm bringing my case before Honorable Judge Matt Baum and Honorable Judge Joe Patrick. I am calling in to defend my love for the comic book that some of you may not have read called Atari Force. In the 80s, there was this comic book uh, called Atari Force. It was actually started off as a series of one-offs, kind of tucked within certain promotional materials to help uh, sell storylines for early console video games. Of course, they partnered with Atari as it was the main console that people owned and 
kind of broke that uh, barrier for home video games. And they were forgettable, but um, they did a second series and kind of diminished the attachment to video games and went straight 80s sci-fi with it. And I think it's an overlooked gem of that particular flavor of science fiction. If you've played Mass Effect or um, read the old Alien Legion comic books, while they're not exactly the same as... uh, Atari Forest, they definitely have that same feel. Um, think of it like Micronauts, but, um, but a little more cliche in a lot of ways, other than being awesome 80s sci-fi. And when I say 80s sci-fi, there's definitely a flavor of uh, the genre that uh, that brings to mind. They have amazing-looking spacecraft. There's certain archetypes of the characters. A lot of it was influenced by things like Star Wars, of course. So every world has some sort of trading hub that's full with all sorts of bizarre creatures and there's these huge empires and clashing it's 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 space operas so if you've ever played traveler or read any science fiction from the 70s and 80s you know what's going on in the background here but what's interesting about this story to me was that it took the children of some of the heroes from the first series that that, like I said, was a forgettable series, and um, kind of made a whole whole new story, you know, that went a whole other direction. The original series dealt with the parents of these people fighting their way through space to find a new Earth that we can colonize. Battlestar Galactica. And it was named, originally enough, New Earth. But in the series that I'm speaking of, the DC Comics series, these children don't even start off as the Atari Force team. They all are spread without, uh, throughout the universe, doing different things, and there's some new characters introduced and eventually they become a team and, and fight this threat and they can't really escape the legacies of, of uh, those that came before them. It handled a lot of neat storylines like that for a little kid to read. I was 10 years old when it came out and it was the first time that I really read something that it was clear to me that the lead character who by the way is sporting the coolest look ever which is just the exact same as the leader of the cobra kai in karate kid there's this glorious blonde mullet and he wears a headband everywhere not only that his name is tempest so pretty rad dude but anyway um they dealt with all these themes of trying to live up to what your father's expectations are and trying to be your own person. And it was it was really interesting to have such a well-developed subplot that even now as I went back and reread them here recently, uh, at least the first 13 issues, um, I really appreciated how well the writing was uh, done for these, these sub subplots. And um, it still applied to me even as an adult. Some other high points are is the team itself. They're designed wonderfully. Um, Jerry Conway and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez were responsible for this book. And Lopez I was probably one of the first comic book artists that I recognized on site for his art, even at age 10, because he had done a bunch of stuff for Jonah Hex, who I also loved. And um, that's how I got into Atari Forest, other than the fact that it said Atari on it. But the first 13 issues tell one long arc of this team coming together in finding a, a cause to, to unite under to, to go out and save the universe. And that cause is uh, to fight the Dark Destroyer, who's a villain that kind of haunted the original team. But at this point in history, no one believes that he was either real or that he still exists if he was real. And they think that the original captain of the Atari Force, who's the dad of Tempest, and his name is Martin Champion, if you can believe that or not, um, 
that he oh, uh, I believe it. <laughs> that he's kind of holding on to the past and they think he's a little crazy but since he helped found this new earth they kind of let it slide but you know they deal a lot with this whole notion of complacency of threat to society and how heroic the people are who really toe the line even in criticism and, and uh, watch out for the things that would tear that society apart all in all Atari Force pretty good read the reason I keep referring to the first 13 issues is, is that's all that I had I think it ran 20 issues and then towards the end they did one of those dc specials that a uh, giant size special deal that uh, showcase i believe they call it and i'd never read that either i didn't even know that existed until i was doing a little bit of research here to make sure i was talking about the right series last night but again atari force if you guys ever see this in a quarter bin pick them up um, i'm trying to finish off the run myself and i only have like four issues of the thing a little trivia for you guys before you judge my uh my nostalgic science fiction love too harshly atari you know of course was the the video game system but they gave it an acronym like all good things to to kind of give it a plausible deniability that it's its own standalone um entity here as a comic book and atari stood for advanced technology and research institute so they were kind of this uh you know supposedly scholarly high-tech space do-gooders and uh and it was fun i don't know it was just it was was a fun time for science fiction it was a great time for comics dc let these awesome creators on the project and they really really outlived uh the project i mean the the quality of these comics is much higher than they should have been and i think they would deserve at least maybe one trade paperback of the first uh arc and i think that just like strike force moratory and um you know the older guardians of the galaxy that i've read and things like uh, micronauts the new voyages i think that atari force definitely has a place to be remembered fondly among the alien legions and um and uh, legion uh comic books that are out there so anyway that's my vote i hope you guys don't judge too harshly my lawyer's working pro bono which is nice but uh to just remember go easy on me thanks guys I see you working with your Legion and Alien Legion Mass references. Mass Effect, Alien <laughs> like, Legion. Oh, did you nah. pick up on a couple of things that Joe and I like and try and sell us on that? Flattery and pandering will get you all the way to a f***ing wonderful or whatever. <laughs> we're we're going to retire to our uh, chambers for a moment to discuss. We'll be right back. After much consideration and some protest from Joe Patrick, I think we have a verdict. Joe, would you like to read the verdict? Protest? Yeah. What do you mean protest? I mean, I didn't... I was like, nah, sounds like a Battlestar Galactica ripoff to me. Yeah, but the way you described it makes it seem like you defended it and I argued. Look, the only thing that I liked was the uh, bandana. That's where he sold it. We have returned to render a verdict of f***ing awesome. Okay. You know what? I might need to revisit this. I had no idea. Dick Giordano worked on this book. Roy Thomas worked on this book. Jose Garcia Lopez, whatever. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Good God, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah, I mean, like some huge names worked on this book. Yeah, Jerry Conway, the man who killed Jerry Conway. Yeah, I mean, and also created the clones. Crazy, but whatever. Now they were doing it for Atari at the time, but it sounds like it became way more than that. Right. I think the the fact that it grew beyond its mandate as a product tie-in is wonderful, and I have experienced tie-ins that are much better than they have any right absolutely, to be. Absolutely, absolutely. For the record, Atari, Japanese word, means prepare to be attacked. Hey. There you go. Boom. 
I think go. we all learned something today. <laughs> we all learned a little something about ourselves. And Camarillo Brillo, he's wretchedly old. <laughs> he was 10 years what? old in 1982. I don't even know how old that makes him now, but it's at least 60. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent work, sir. Thank you for your argument. You have perhaps defended a much maligned title <laughs> that has survived in quarter books for years and years and years and years. You'll never see DC reprint this due to them scratching their heads as to who owns the rights to the word Atari, I'm sure. And we only had to edit out most of it to make us sound better. It's true. It's true. If you'd like to defend your questionable comic book tastes, if you can defend the undefendable, we want you for our next Defender segment. You can post about it in the THN forums. Contact us via email to editnerd at gmail.com. I would love to hear someone sell me on the Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Did they make a comic of that? Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. What I want, my my ultimate, my my Moby Dick, my white whale, is somebody coming on to try to defend Chuck Austin's run on X-Men. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I know you're out there. That is a tough one. I know you're out there. <laughs> Or just Chuck Austin's body of work, period. Look, that dude drew Miracle Man. It's true. So, and it's those true. issues are coming up. It is true. Sort of, sort of break it, sort of, break it sort of, down like down, this. Down, and that is it for another wild card episode of THN. Wild card, bitches! you love surprises instead of interviews as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher where we still need your iTunes star ratings and reviews because, as you've heard, we lost them. We're building back up and you guys have been great so far, even you four-star review guy. And we also appreciate a Stitcher's thumbs up because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Hey, did you see the thing that somebody tweeted at us about how... THN was on the like what's hot yeah page on uh, Stitcher yeah we were at the height of our power wowzers thanks to thanks to getting canceled I didn't even know that was a thing it's a thing thank you to all of our donors but big ups to our sustaining members and if you'd like to help keep us in vintage game consoles you can make your donation in any amount using our heavily pixelated PayPal button. It's only like six bits. At twoheadednerd.com. <laughs> it's, it's just a block. It's a yellow block. <laughs> and if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. It's true. 100,000 of you download this show every month. If you each give us a dollar, we would be like millionaires in two months, I think. I can't do that now. While you're there, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline at 402-819-4894. Tattoo it on your forehead. Using this myriad of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions or challenge comic book idiot savant Joe Patrick with your comic trivia for our Ask a Nerd segment. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, wood stamped, clicked out on an Aldous lamp, whatever. <laughs> and don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, make fun of our high scores on Dig Dug, or just rap about comics. I'm more of a Mr. Do fan. Really? I was more of a Pingo guy. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Normally, that's where I like to point out that the forums is where the question goes, but Matt hates it when I go off script. No, what we do is we tell them that it's up, and then they go to the forums and read it. 
whatever. Semantics. It's a two-part thing. He's just trying to avoid rewriting that part. Not true. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own written and audio responses, see, it still says written and audio responses. Whatever. It's an audio show. Be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. There's written responses at the forums. But we don't read them on the Answer of the Week podcast. That's true. (laughs) If you already subscribed to this show, you're good. You're good as gold. You got it. You don't need to do anything. It will just appear in your feed. If you don't subscribe to this show, you probably can't hear this. (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd. So hit us with your question over the THN forums or call us and leave us a voice message question. That would be fun. If you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out our regular weekly features like Ludicrous Speed Reviews with Aaron Myers. Controversial. Comics on the Rocks with Cousin Chris. Saturday morning cartoons with the Credible Hulk. Also controversial. All of these things happen. <laughs> All of these things are things. All of these things are things. Our weekly shout out goes to Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat. It's his 61st birthday and he still looks good. Word to you, Ricky, and I will never forget that day in 1986 when Randy Savage jumped off the top rope with bell in hand and smashed your larynx. It was, ugh, it was hard to watch. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre order your comics like Beast of Burden coming back in a couple of weeks from Evan Dorkin. Jill Thompson. And Jill Thompson, who we love, 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 because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. I would kiss Jill Thompson on the mouth. She's cute. I'd kiss Evan Dorkin on the mouth, too. He's f***ing awesome.